The SARS-CoV-2 virus has been very effective at exposing inequities in American culture. As the nation topped 5 million cases over the weekend, we're seeing the highest toll being paid by the elderly, minorities, and generally people with limited or no means to protect themselves. In San Diego, that's playing out at the border, as thousands of essential workers continually cross, potentially spreading because they must continue to work. That's why the county has set up a new testing site at Pet East, but it begs the question, will it be enough to slow South Bay's COVID-19 spike? For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Lindsay Winkley, you're a member of the Watchdog team for the San Diego Union-Tribune. You've been following this development, among others, when it comes to the pandemic. Why don't you give us some background first? What is the county's strategy when it comes to testing? Because it's changed multiple times. Yeah, I mean, initially the county was sort of criticized for not moving quickly enough into the South County region where cases um, really sort of ballooned. And hearing that, taking in that criticism, they really expanded their uh, testing strategy in that region. So more than half of uh, the county's testing sites are situated in this location Um, and uh, many of the tests that are done regionally are also done in this space Um, and the idea has been how can we set up sites that are accessible to the residents who live in this particular area Um, and Pet East is a a sort of a response to that challenge um, particularly when it comes to essential workers. And at what point did this discrepancy in South County become kind of glaringly obvious? What was the point in which the warning signs were all pointing to most of the virus is down here? Uh, I mean, I think that that's something that has been pretty consistent through the course of the pandemic. We have seen since the beginning, um, Latino and Hispanic populations have been disproportionately impacted um, by this pandemic. And a lot of our South Bay communities have high Latino and Hispanic populations. Um, So it didn't take long for us to recognize that this is a a community that we need to um, we need to aggressively address the spread of this disease Um, and increasing testing and testing sites is one way for the county to do that. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the details about the site itself? Like how many people can it test? How do you sign up? What's the kind of 101 on this new testing site? Sure. So it's right outside of Pet East. So directly after crossing through Pet East on foot, um, a couple hundred yards away, there will be these tents. You don't need an appointment to get a test. So you can just walk up. You'll, you know, work with the county um, to fill out any kind of paperwork that you need to. They'll administer the test and then you can continue on your way. Um, The testing, uh, the amount of tests that they can do is thought to be about 200 Obviously, there has been some supply challenges kind of surrounding testing, and so that could change. But 200 is the is the goal at this point, um, and it's going to be open in the morning hours. So the idea is uh, we want to make sure that we are um, addressing individuals who are crossing over to work. And a lot of times those individuals are crossing over really early in the morning. So in order to ensure that, you know, we're giving kind of ample time for these employees to cross over, get tested, and then continue on their day, this site actually opens at 6.30 in the morning. And so it's 6.30 to 10.30 um, is the times that you can go get tested. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the rules? Uh, can only Americans use this or people who live in Tijuana, are they allowed? What are the rules? Absolutely not. Anybody who feels that they may be exposed to COVID-19 can go up 
and do this test. Like that is something that the county has stressed repeatedly, that this is there will be no immigration related questions. Um, this is really about identifying any COVID-19 case that we can, because one of the things that county officials um, spoke a lot about when I was learning about this new testing location is how this is really a binational effort. This is meant to benefit both uh, cities north of the border and cities south of the border. You know, th we are all fighting this pandemic together. Um, and so any case that we can identify to help health officials assist people in self-isolating or just so individuals know that they have the disease, that they can self-isolate themselves, uh, really people feel like that is um, kind of the primary goal here. And what's being done for like, let's say an undocumented individual who lives like in San Ysidro and wants to get tested, is it safe for them to do so? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that something else that individuals with the county stressed is this particular testing site is on CBP property, but they are not at all involved in the administering of these tests. They are not connected. All they did was say, yes, you can use this space after that, it is 100% handled by county and county officials. None of that data is going to be shared with the CBP in any way. Um, so this is all, you know, the same kinds of confidentiality, um, uh, you know, the same things that they do to protect your privacy in any other testing site, which has really been a really big deal. Um, it will apply to this particular testing site as well. Mm -hmm. And as we've kind of addressed, when it comes to this geographical location and this specific population, there are a number of stumbling blocks in getting kind of the level of testing that you need. Can you kind of walk us through the kind of challenges the county has had over the past several months and the strategies that they're using to kind of get as much resources connected to people who need them more than others that live in other parts of the county? Yeah, I mean... I think accessibility has always been sort of a challenge for the county. I mean, it's it's not enough to, so the, the data shows the county generally where they need to go. And we know from the data that South County um, has been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. That is clear in the numbers. Uh, and so, but it's not enough just to go into South County and like plop down testing sites and hope that people are going to be able to go there. You really have to sort of work with the community to gauge um, how how do we put up this testing site in a way that makes it um, usable to the people who live here? Um, I think that the testing center at the Tubman Chavez location is actually a really good example of that. It's in City Heights. It's not by the border. But at the beginning, that was a state location um, and you had to have an appointment. And there was just a lot of cancellations. It wasn't getting the, it wasn't getting used in, in quite the way that people had hoped. And so by speaking with community members, the county was hearing about some of the challenges that those individual res residents sometimes face when they have to meet an appointment. And there are just challenges that will keep them from um, being able to keep an appointment. And so they decided to change it to a walk-up site and it was hugely successful. Um, and so I think one of the, you know, just one of the challenges with, with testing sites in general is sort of figuring out, okay, what is the best mix? What is the best route for this particular community? And then if it's not working, switch it up so that you can, you know, so that you can address kind of the needs of the people that you're trying to serve. Um, you know, there's been other specific challenges, especially in South County. I mean, there's been longstanding disparities in access to healthcare, um, especially with essential workers, you know, where you're already spending much of your time 
working these jobs that you can't just not go to or you can't telework, you know, that's not an option for some of these community members. You're also talking about, you know, this the notion of uh, larger families um, and maybe single parents or parents who are dealing or, or caring for aging elderly individuals. You know, all of those family dynamics can complicate a COVID-19 diagnosis. It can make it more difficult to isolate. So I think that a lot of those things are kind of in addition to sort of just making sure that we're reaching the people that we need to reach with this testing strategy, it's also addressing some of those challenges so that the county can be in a position to better help these people uh, recover, you know, if they do, if they do catch the disease. Yeah, it's kind of frightening, I guess, if you think about it, when you realize the number of ways that we've built this culture, this American system, that wealth is really the best shield from COVID-19 to have the money, to have the space, to have the job that allows you to work from home, all of these things that if you're working, you know, minimum wage job, you don't have health care and you can get fired if you don't show up, well, chances are you're going to have to deal with that increased risk and that increased exposure. Yeah, I mean, South Bay, South Bay doctors who I've spoken to in the past are quick to point out that, you know, it's sort of a long and complicated word, but these social determinants of health, you know, income inequality, access to education, access to nutrition. I mean, these kind of bedrock healthcare issues are certainly fueling the disparity that we see in, um, in the South Bay region. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, testing itself is one thing. It's kind of the first step to containment. But what other services are available for someone who, let's say, like you said, is in a multi-generational family and can't isolate? Are there things that people who don't have access to, you know, the tools to, you know, write out this disease, what help can they get from the county? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the programs that, um, you know, we've been working to kind of get information about, county officials have been working to get information about, is um, the county does have on hand a large number of hotel rooms that they can connect families to who would have trouble isolating on their own. So this means that if you live in a single, you know, in a, in a single apartment, maybe you have a child, maybe you have two children, um, self-isolating is going to be really difficult for you. Um, and so this is a tool, this is an option for individuals who need to be in a different location outside of their home in order to successfully keep themselves from spreading it to others that they live with. Um, and it's something that, you know, I mean, the Chicano Federation has talked a lot about this, a, a lot about how the county needs to do a better job at ensuring that individuals who are um, who catch this disease and who need assistance, they need to do a better job at communicating the resources that are available and also thinking creatively about how we can assist um, different members of our community who may not be able to take the advice that a lot of us take for granted, like work from home, you know, separate yourself from your family, use your own bathroom. What about, what do we do for the individuals who can't do those things? Mm -hmm. And over the weekend, uh, the UT uh, published two stories that kind of got at this inequity of the pandemic. Uh, the first was a study by Sandag, which Phil Molnar explained that individuals who are black and Latino are disproportionately likely to live in zip codes that both have high unemployment and also have higher caseloads. And Andrea Lopez Villafania and Lauren Schroeder wrote a story about how many of the Paycheck Protection Program loans went to more whiter more affluent neighborhoods, kind of showing that the help isn't getting to people who need it the most. Given these two factors, are you noticing kind of a tone shift when it comes to speaking to leaders in government or health when acknowledging that like these things that people are saying 
our problems and also these tools that are supposed to remedy those problems aren't reaching the people who need it the most. Is there kind of an acknowledgement of this, I suppose, governmental failure? <laughs> well, I'm not exactly sure if I would say that there's an acknowledgement of governmental failure. Uh, it's rare that government agencies will speak about themselves like that. Um, however, I will say that I, I do think that the county has recognized over the last several weeks to months that um, they need to do more to ensure it's not enough to have um, to have the just like testing sites. It's not enough to plop it down into a county and be like, good luck. Here it is. You know, they need to do more to ensure that the resources that are available and there are resources available are communicated to the community in a way that that community understands it and can access it. Right. It's not enough to just know about a tool. If you never get to use that tool, then you're failing. Right. And so I think that with the two stories that you had mentioned, just again, further examples of the disproportionate impacts that we're seeing during this pandemic. Um, and the county is working on that. That being said, I do think that um, community organizations like the Chicano Federation and others have criticized the county for not being aggressive enough in ensuring that the individuals who are most impacted by this have access to the, to the assistance that they need. I mean, and there are suggestions that there needs to be different kinds of assistance, like, uh, you know, paying for people to stay home if they need to stay home because they get a, a COVID-19 diagnosis, which is we know is something is a reason why certain people don't go get tested. You know, if you are if you are the sole breadwinner or you are the supporter of your family and you find out that you have a COVID diagnosis and you have to take two weeks off work and you can't afford that, where's your motivation then to, uh, you know, go get tested? There isn't. Unless you felt like if I got a positive test, the county is going to help support me during this time. You know, I think that people have been pushing sort of throughout this for more tools that look like that, um, that can just be more of assistance to the individuals who, again, are just more deeply impacted. Yeah, it does seem like uh, as depressing as this all is, at least this conversation is happening and it's ongoing, while in the past these facts were just kind of accepted and not really discussed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and I've had this conversation a number of times, I mean, I think anytime that we have the opportunity as kind of a community to look at disproportionate um, impacts that are fueled by longstanding disparity, we should do that, right? Um, because these things certainly aren't able to be fixed overnight, which is a problem. We can't just fix these longstanding disparities, but I think acknowledging that they exist and working towards kind of doing the long-term work to fix those things is important. Um, and that starts with, you know, conversations that acknowledge that they exist. Mm -hmm. And broadly, uh, kind of zooming out a little bit, where are we in this pandemic? Are things trending in the right direction? I feel like there's a, a degree of fatigue on the national and local level when it comes to this subject, just because we've been dealing it for, you know, half a year at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I get fatigued talking about this sometimes. Um, you know, some of our metrics are moving in the right direction, some of them less so. Um, our case rate is moving in the right direction. And the case rate is important because that's the reason why we are on the state's watch list, which is sort of what ushered in a lot of these new restrictions on indoor businesses. Um, and so, you know, if we continue to see sort of the lower case numbers 
that we've been seeing over the last you know week, week and a half, um, we very well could find ourselves um, in the place that we need to be, which is under 100 cases per 100,000 people, which means that we would get off that list, which means that we could possibly see more businesses reopen. Um, you know, as far as cases in and of themselves, uh, the positivity rates is all, are also kind of decreasing, which is nice. Um, but then we have outbreaks, and outbreaks uh, have not decreased. Uh, we've had dozens and dozens um, in any given week. Um, the trigger is seven or more, and we've just been exceeding that for quite some time. Um, but overall, I think that we are heading in the right direction. And um, you know, like county officials say, there's just been a lot of stress on continue to do the things that you know help fuel uh, help decrease the spread of COVID-19. So keep washing your hands, keep wearing your mask, get tested if you think that you've been exposed, um, you know, and we'll get through this. Mm -hmm. And finally, if I'm a reader or a listener or a subscriber that has a question, what's the best way of getting a hold of you? Oh, hit me up on Twitter. I am, um, usually I give updates every day. Um, you know, sometimes that can change depending on my story, but I'm absolutely reachable by Twitter. Um, feel free to send me a message and I'm happy to try and answer any questions that people might have. All right, Lindsay Winkley, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. The fourth annual San Diego Festival of Books, the county's largest celebration of the written word, is going virtual. The online event will run from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on August 29th. Like past festivals, you can expect Q&As and panels with award-winning authors from across the country, such as Walter Mosley, Robert Craze, and Shilpi Samaya Gowda. I'm Robert Craze, author of A Dangerous Man and 21 other novels. I'm looking forward to speaking with you about Joe Pike, Elvis Cole, and all their other cases at the San Diego Festival of Books on August 29th. Hope to see you there. I'm Jean Guerrero, author of Hatemonger, my latest book to be released in August. Join me as I unveil the man driving some of the most divisive confrontations over what it means to be American and what America will become. See you on August 29th. Hello, my name is Matt De La Pena, and I'm an author of books for young people, and I can't wait to be a part of the San Diego Festival of Books. I'm going to share with all of you a picture book, but it's a book that I share with not only elementary school kids, but junior high kids, high school kids, college, and even adults. Uh, the book is called Love, and this is the message I want to put out, out into the world, especially now. So I hope you all will join me at the San Diego Festival of Books. And for families, there will be a virtual children's stage with readings and activities. Hi, my name is Sharon Langley, and I'm so excited to share my new book with you, A Ride to Remember. A Ride to Remember, a civil rights story, tells the story of how my community came together to make an important change. I hope you'll check it out and see me at the San Diego Festival of Books. I'm looking forward to it. New for this year, count on poetry readings, a cooking demo with a Food Network star, art and writing workshops, and an entertainment hour with local musicians. Hello friends, it's Raquel from Infinite Succulents. Come get your hands dirty with me as we learn all about caring for succulents and creating living art from them as well. You can learn all about it in my book, Infinite Succulent Miniature Living Art to Keep or Share. I hope you can join us for Festival of Books. For more information on how to attend and how to sign up for our newsletter, visit sdfestivalofbooks.com. 
We look forward to spending the day with fellow book lovers. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.